to come in and join us and sing and bring palms and all those things. Um, so let's get started and use the 40 minutes or so that we have. Let's begin this morning by praying Psalm 24 together. Um, it's on page 791 of your hymnal. Page 791 of your hymnal. This is a Psalm 24. This is an appropriate psalm um, for any Lord's Day, but certainly Palm Sunday um, is one uh, that, um, that fits with the theme of this psalm and even, I would say, is a kind of prophetic picture of uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which is a prefiguring itself of his entry into um, the heavenly city, um, to heaven itself after his resurrection, his ascension to his Father's right hand. So Tom 24, I will read the parts that are in regular print, and y'all respond with the portions that are in bold. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Indeed, Heavenly Father, this morning we praise you. For your Son, Jesus Christ, is the King of glory. Father, we give you thanks for the faithfulness of Jesus, how he went into the city of Jerusalem, uh, knowing um, that it would be the place of his death, ready to offer himself up for uh, our sins and for our salvation. Uh, confident, Father, that indeed you would raise him from the dead on the third day and that he would then ascend into your um, heavenly uh, presence. Uh, Father, this morning as we um, prepare for worship, I pray that your heart, uh, that your spirit would be with us, that you would dwell among us, that you would continue to grant us wisdom as we talk about um, uh, things regarding sexuality and gender and um, what your word teaches about these things. Um, Father, grant us wisdom for these are, these are not easy topics and we need your presence. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, friends, let's see, Jeremy and maybe David, will you help me? Thank you, sir. Um, so the handouts are going out. We are continuing in our Sunday School series on the Human Sexuality Report that was delivered um, by the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America General Assembly, um, two years ago. Um, this is a document that we've been studying for um, some weeks now, several weeks, um, going through it, um, pretty, especially this first portion, the 12 statements that are made at the beginning of the report, pretty closely. And um, so we're going to continue with that today. Um, before I jump into new material this morning, I wanted to see if there are any questions um, 
about anything we talked about last week. Last week we talked about specifically the, the Christian sexual ethic that is presented in um, the New Testament, which of course is taking up all of the um, Old Testament with it um, and expounding it in a new era, um, but it's, it is the same sexual ethic. We talked about how um, revolutionary um, that teaching on sex was in the context of the Greco-Roman world, the ways that it was both um, celebratory of sex within the context of marriage um, between a man and a woman, but it also was um, prohibitive of sexuality outside of, of that context, which was a very uh, radical thing in the context of the first century. Any thoughts or questions about anything that we discussed last week? Anything at all? Okay, very good. Well, let's continue. We're now on to the third um, paragraph in that first statement on marriage. Um, and so we'll just pick up there. So the committee, um, the report reads this way. It says, we all stand in need of God's grace for sexual sin and temptation, whether married or not. Moreover, sexual immorality is not an unpardonable sin. There is no sin so small it does not deserve damnation, and no sin so big it cannot be forgiven. That's a, almost a direct quote, a little bit of a paraphrase of Westminster Confession of Faith 15.4, which is pointed to there. There is hope and forgiveness for all who repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ. And then they... Um, reference multiple passages in the Gospels and in Acts that point to um, repentance and forgiveness um, given for any kind of sin. It's important for us to say this um, up front. I, I, when we were introducing the topic, um, I talked about this, that the only way that we can honestly um, and wisely, I think, come to um, a topic like sexuality is, and what the scriptures teach and what God requires is if we do so honestly, um, which is that all of us are <coughs> sexual sinners. Um, all of us, um, as the uh, report says, stand in need of God's grace for sexual sin and temptation, um, regardless of our marital status, um, regardless of um, whatever temptation we might um, confront. Um, it's true for every one of us that we're sexual sinners. Um, that's true for me. That's true for um, every single person. Um, uh, and that, that is something that we really need to grapple with, that we, we approach these things um, from the perspective of um, none of us is righteous, none of us is holy. Um, all of us need um, the grace and mercy of God. And that, I think that is a, a really important um, context for us to, to hold on to. And of course, that is in um, this, the statement is being made, partly that all of us would be humbled um, by that reality and would approach this topic with um, the kind of humility that acknowledging um, our sinful status brings um, before God and before one another. Um, but also the report rightly wants us to hear the good news of the gospel, which is that sexual immorality is not an unpardonable sin. And that's something that we really need to hear as well. Um, I think it's certainly the case um, that Sexual immorality can feel at times as though it is unpardonable. Um, there is something, um, and I, I don't know if that is just the way in which the Lord has designed us um, in creation because sexuality is so connected to who we are as human beings um, 
And that there, so there is a deep sense of shame, I think, that many of us feel um, regarding sexual sin, um, either sin that we've participated in or things that have been done to us um, sinfully. Um, and so sometimes it can feel unpardonable. It can feel like we can't be forgiven. We can't be um, uh, made clean um, by the Lord because of our sin. Uh, and, and I think that is particularly true sometimes with um, sexual sin. But um, the, the, the report states here the opposite, and that is exactly right. And we only need to go to the scriptures, right, to really consider and think about um, the way in which the scriptures are full of sexual sinners who are forgiven um, by God of their sin. And um, we can go to the, uh, the earliest um, parts of the scriptures to think about that. We think about the life of Abraham, um, who of course took another woman um, into his bed um, in a sinful way, um, in a way that, that was not obedient to God um, in order to presumably uh, provide himself with an heir. Um, that, was, that was a sexual sin um, that the Lord forgave Abraham of. We can think about um, one of the sons of, um, um, of, of Israel, um, of Jacob, um, Judah, um, who went into what he believed to be a temple prostitute on the side of the road. It turned out it was his daughter-in-law, he found out later, which only compounded his sin. Um, but that was a sexual sin. Um, Judah and Abraham both, of course, are part of the lineage um, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, their sins were forgiven. We think about David and his sin with Bathsheba. Um, we think about Rahab, um, who was a prostitute, um, who also um, became part of the line um, of the Messiah. Um, we can go to the New Testament. We can think about the way in which Jesus dealt with um, the woman caught in adultery um, in John 9. And we can think about, um, or John 7, uh, we can think about um, the, uh, the story of, of Jesus with the woman at the well, um, the, the Samaritan woman. We don't know for sure that she was a sexual sinner, but uh, based on Jesus' words to her, it certainly seems as though she was. Um, uh, we can think about all, all sorts of stories um, throughout the scriptures and the way in which the Lord, um, and I think particularly those stories of Jesus interacting with, with people who are sexual sinners are fascinating. I mean, Jesus, of course, was known as someone who ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. Um, that was part of his, his ministry, um, that he dealt with people in those places with concern, um, with gentleness, with grace, but also with, with truth. I mean, you think about that story, the woman caught in adultery, right? Um, the, the, uh, everyone leaves, no one stones her after Jesus speaks um, uh, to the crowd, and then um, he says, um, has, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. And he says, well, neither do I. Um, go and sin no more. And so there, there's both that, um, that forgiveness that's offered to her, but also a call to holiness, a call to a new kind of life. And that is offered to any of us, um, all of us as sexual sinners, um, both the grace and mercy of God and also the call to holiness and to put off our sin. Um, any thoughts or questions about that? Is what I'm saying resonating? Do you guys understand what I mean? I mean, is it, is it true in your experience that sometimes sexual sin can feel like unforgivable sin, right? Sin that God can't deal with. I think that's absolutely true in our experience. Yes, ma'am.
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair, um, Kathina, um, to say that, that we certainly are not helping people um, by, by the way that we're generally in the culture talking about sexuality these days. Um, Kathina's essentially saying by, um, in our culture, there's this assumption that our sexuality is at the core of who we are, um, and that, that essentially if, if our desires, if our um, sense of our own gender, um, those things are immutable, if they're not um, something that we can enter into and wrestle with, um, then we're not doing anyone any favors in terms of, because it, it does. And I think that's fair to say. I think that's, that's appropriate. Um, yes, certainly, certainly this is where the whole truth and love thing come in. In order to love people well, we do need to say true things about sexuality and gender. Um, we can do so, I believe, in a way that is loving and not um, condemnatory, um, that is um, the kind of way that Jesus spoke about these things. Um, um, but yes, I totally agree with that. I think that's fair. Any other thoughts about these dynamics? Sexual sin and forgiveness? Um, I'll just say um, this. I do think that one of in my observation of my pastoral ministry um, over the years, um, sexual sin is often a sin that's very hard to confess and talk about with others um, because of the dynamic that we're describing, because it can feel unforgivable. It can feel um, shameful in a way that is overwhelming. Um, and so it can be, so very often as a pastor, what I find is that um, I get brought into situations often when they have become out of control in terms of sexual sin, um, when, when someone is found out often, um, whether that's um, pornography, whether that's um, an affair or an inappropriate relationship, um, whether that is um, you know, some other kind of, of sexual sin. And that's not always the case, but it's often the case um, with some frequency that that is when, you know, help is finally asked for and sins are finally confessed and brought to the surface. And I, I would just say, I just want you to hear me say as your pastor, I would encourage you not to do that. Um, I mean, don't try to handle any of your sin on your own, but, but particularly don't just try to handle your sexual sin on your own. Um, that's not what we're called to be is the body of Christ. Um, we're called to confess our sins one to another, and we're called to rely on others um, to help us grow in holiness. Um, and I, I would just encourage you and, and want you to know that as your pastor, I want to talk with you about these things. I want to be able to let you hear me say, um, your sin is forgiven. Go and sin no more, right? Because that's, that's the message that we all need. And we all need both of those things to be said to us. And, um, and I've certainly seen far too many stories of people trapped in cycles of sexual sin where the shame just compounds uh, much of the, you know, there's a, there's a link between the, the kind of shame and, and self-loathing that can come um, from unconfessed sexual sin that it doesn't help you, right? It just continues and perpetuates the cycle. It just makes you more vulnerable to temptation um, the next time it comes around. Um, and... and, and and I genuinely mean this, Satan wants you to try to just figure it out, right? Wants you just to try to, you know, you can, you've got this, right? Um, and that's a lie. That's a lie. 
It's a satanic lie um, to say that you can conquer your sin on your own. Um, and it's a, it's a lie, it's a satanic lie to say, if you tell someone of this, you will be despised and you will be, um, you know, put out or whatever. That, that's, that's not true. That's not the gospel. Um, the gospel is that all who come to Christ, um, regardless of what they bring uh, to him, are forgiven um, when they put their trust and faith in him and embrace repentance. And so that's, that's the truth. That's the truth of the gospel. So I just want you to hear me say that um, for you, um, uh, that, that as the report says here, there's no sin so small it does not deserve damnation in God's judgment, but there is no sin so large it cannot be forgiven. Um, thank the Lord for that, um, because all of us um, carry sins um, that are significant. And there's hope and forgiveness for all, right? No exclusions. Um, I'm going to talk about that some today. We're looking at the cross this morning and the story of um, the, uh, the man who was crucified next to Jesus, who um, put his faith and trust in him before he died. And um, I'm going to talk some about this in the sermon, but that man was not a good man, right? You didn't end up, end up crucified um, in the, uh, by the Roman government outside the city gates um, for, you know, stealing a loaf of bread from the marketplace or something, right? Um, that's not how that worked. Um, the Romans executed those who had become enemies of the state. Um, and so you only became an enemy of the state if you were a criminal who was involved in things that threatened the stability of, um, from the Romans' perspective, what they were doing with their empire, right? This was a wicked man. Um, and yet the Lord, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so profound, right? He's dying. He says, the other guy, shut up, stop mocking him. Uh, we deserve what's happening to us. He doesn't. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus doesn't, like, he just forgives him, you know? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't ask him to, like, prove his sincerity. He doesn't say, well, you know, why'd you wait till now, you know? Um, he just says, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, he's met with grace, pure grace. And um, I think that's a, that's a story we should hold on to. And, um, yeah, that's a story we can hold on to. Um, if, if that is a paradigmatic story of faith and, and trust in Jesus, then there is room for any of us um, in the grace and mercy of God. And that's probably part of why that story is recorded for us, is that we might know that and be confident of it. Um, we might say that one of the first Christians um, was a heinous, heinous sinner. Um, and that's important. All right, any other thoughts about that before we talk a little about image of God? Go on to the next paragraph. Very good. All right, so this next paragraph is, is titled Image of God and, and really deals um, more specifically with um, questions of our, our sex, our, not so much our sexual behavior and desires, but um, our, our sex and our understanding of our gender in relationship to that. Um, so image of God, we affirm that God created human beings in his image as male and female, Genesis 1, um, 26 and 27. And this is, of 
course, something you're familiar with, um, but it is uh, worth continuing to reflect on and think about. I'll just read it briefly. Um, this is so important for how we think about the question of sex, um, our own sex as men and women, is to see that God deliberately uh, made us in this way. Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And I, I think it's worth just thinking about for a moment that the reality that... Um, It might have been otherwise, right? Um, I mean, you know, God could have done whatever he wanted in terms of providing, um, you know, a, a, a line of human beings that would continue after the first um, that he made. Um, there might have been one sex, right? Um, and God could have made some way for them to just have children. You know, we're, we're all the same um, sex, and, and yet we can somehow reproduce um, biologically. Um, the Lord could have done that. Um, he could have made more than two sexes. Um, he could have made multiple sexes. Um, but he didn't do those things. And I think it's really worth us reflecting on that and thinking about that. There's something in terms of God's intention for creation that, um, you know, is, is significant enough um, that, that from the beginning he makes us male and female um, such that we are like one another. Very, you know, when Adam, when Eve is brought to Adam, he says, you know, finally, right, someone like me, right? He's looked at all the animals and none of them are, are fitting, none of them fit for him. Um, but he sees Eve, and so there's this fittedness between them, there's a similarity between them, um, but there's also this difference. Um, and, and that similarity and difference is only between two sexes, not three or however many the Lord might have made, only male and female. Um, I, I think that's really just something that we should reflect and think about. I mean, I don't have all the answers for why. I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons we could think about why the Lord did it that way. Um, but it is something to ponder, right? It's something to think about. Certainly, um, I think Paul would argue that one of the reasons that um, God made us male and female is to give us a picture of God's own relationship between himself and his people, um, especially um, in incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul talks about um, uh, the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage being like um, the relationship between Christ and his church, that it's a, it's a picture, it's a mystery, um, or, or it points to a, a greater mystery. Um, and so you, you have that, you know, that, that similarity there. Um, but but I, I just think it's, it's fascinating to think about um, the way in which the Lord made us with intentionality um, that we might be like one another and yet also different from one another, and that there might be a, an opportunity for, for intimacy, for being known, um, for um, being seen, um, while also being separate, um, that's possible only within that arrangement. And the Lord did that on purpose. The Lord did that on purpose. Um, it's, a, it's a great gift for us. There's something that, that glorifies him, um, that is a, is a fitting crown to his creation as the creation of man and woman are um, 
that can only be revealed appropriately and fully in that, in that way by creating two sexes, um, male and female. He made them. Any thoughts about that? Likewise, the report goes on, we recognize the goodness of the human body. Genesis 1.31, God looked at everything he had made, um, most recently that he had made man and woman um, in his own image, and he said, very good, very good. And John 1.14, of course, is um, where we read that Jesus tabernacled among us, that the word was made flesh and became man that God himself took on a human body, and we might add a human sexed body, right? Um, Jesus did not become some androgynous um, human person, but he became a man, um, um, a man in every way, um, and that is important to think about. And the call to glorify God with our bodies, and here uh, the committee references 1 Corinthians 6, um, 12 to 20, which is uh, where Paul talks about sexuality um, and our relationship um, to the, our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. I'll read that because um, I think it's worth, it's worth reading. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I think that we... Um, I appreciate that um, the, the writers of the report reference both creation and the incarnation as a, um, evidence of the goodness of the human body. Um, I wish they'd included a reference, there is a reference in 1 Corinthians 6 to the resurrection, but, but I wish they had included explicitly a, a resurrection um, reference there as well. Because it's important for us to say that we believe that the human body is good, not only because God made human bodies and delighted in them and said they were very good, not only because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, became man and took himself, took upon himself a human body, a human body, of course, that he is not relinquished, right? Jesus remains um, a man um, in heaven today. Um, uh, he is 
he is a human person. He has a human body. Um, none of that was lost. It was glorified, certainly, in his resurrection. Um, but it is still um, quite human, um, as, as the gospel writers make clear and Christian orthodoxy is always held. Um, but also, we know the human body is good because God will raise our bodies um, from the grave on the last day. And we will live in bodies um, for all of eternity. Um, we will be embodied human beings, um, which means that we will be, in the resurrection, men and women. We will be male and female. Um, you will not lose your, uh, your, your sex in the resurrection, uh, which is a really, and, and we don't know what that means exactly about the relationship between the sexes. Of course, Jesus famously, uh, towards the end of his ministry, his last week of teaching, um, answers a foolish question from the Sadducees about, you know, if a, if a man um, is, uh, if a woman rather is um, married to a man and, and he dies and her brother his brother marries her and so on and so on, there are seven brothers and whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Jesus says, um, you know, basically you're asking a dumb question. Um, in the resurrection, they'll be neither giving in marriage nor receiving in marriage to be like angels, right? Um, so I, I, that's, that's, most of what we have in the scriptures in terms of what it will be like um, to be um, sexed human beings in the resurrection. Um, so I don't think Jesus, I mean, right there, what he's dealing with is, of course, the Sadducees famously denied the resurrection of the dead, um, which is why they're asking the question in the first place, because they think it, the whole thing's absurd. Um, and Jesus, you know, um, <laughs> has that wonderful quote from Exodus 3, right? Right. Um, do you not know that, that God is, um, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, right? Um, and, um, and quotes from Exodus 3 about how God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, implying that they're living, right? They will, they will live fully again. Um, so, but it's important for us to wrestle with that, that, that part of the reason we know that the, our bodies are good is because of the resurrection of the dead, um, because... Um, there will be a relatively short time that we will be apart from our bodies um, in death in comparison to eternity. Um, we will spend eternity um, as men and as women um, in physical uh, glorified bodies in the new creation. Any thoughts about any of that before we continue? The goodness of the human body, the call to glorify God with those bodies that he gave us. I hear children beginning to line up. Um, the next sentence, or the rest of that paragraph reads, um, as a God of order and design, God opposes the confusion of man and, as woman and woman as man. And they quote there from 1 Corinthians 11, um, where Paul talks about um, hair and the way in which um, long hair is the glory of a woman and a man shouldn't grow his hair to look like a woman's hair. Um, while situations involving such confusion can be heartbreaking and complex, men and women should be helped to live in accordance with their biological sex. Um, we obviously don't have time. We'll have to unpack this two weeks from now. There's no Sunday school next week because of Easter Sunday. Um, so two weeks from now, we'll have to talk about this in more detail. Um, but just 
simply hear me say um, that, I mean, I'm fully on board with what the report says here, um, that the Lord, as I've argued, made two sexes on purpose, and we ought not to confuse um, the distinctions between men and women. Um, we, we must honor the Lord and his wisdom um, by saying that, that it matters that there are two sexes and that they're like one another, but also different from one another. And we need to honor um, that similarity and that difference. Um, God does oppose that confusion of man as woman and woman as man. And, and there's no question within our um, culture and society today that this is this is a, a, a place of deep, deep confusion um, and increasingly a place where to say what the committee says here is seen as something that is um, harmful to say out loud. Um, and so as Christians, we had better learn how to say it well because we can't not say it, right? Um, so we'd better learn how to say it well, um, to say it with uh, confidence, um, but also whatever humility is required to say it in a way that people can hear it. Um, because this is, a, this is not an unimportant matter, right? And we can, I mean, you can just look out and read the news every day to see evidence of that, um, of the, some of the, the deep consequences that come um, from confusing men with women and women with men. Um, it is not good for a society. Um, and, uh, and we should all just, as we think about the course of human history, realize that we are in the middle of a gigantic experiment about whether it actually matters or not. Um, in, in, in a way that has never been attempted before in quite this manner in human history, we're attempting to say it does not matter. And um, I think scripturally we're on thin ice. <laughs> Um, and so at, at, I, I, um, I just think we need, we need to wrestle with that. I'm going to wrap up. Um, so I'm going to stop there. But we need, we need to try to hold on to these things because they're important. I, I, um, I think this will be a, a deeply important issue for the church in the years ahead. All right, let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks um, for your word. We thank you for um, the goodness of our bodies. Um, we thank you for um, the forgiveness of sins, Father, um, that is for each one of us. Um, each one of us stand in need of your mercy, Father, for we are all sinners. We're all sexual sinners, Father, and so we're grateful um, for the way that you forgive us our sins. I pray that you would help us um, to live uh, chaste and holy lives um, and that we would confess our sin, Father, uh, to you and to one another, um, that we might put off um, the works of darkness and take on um, the works of light, Father, that we might be more and more like Jesus, even not only as individuals, but as a community, as a church, um, as a body. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated again. Our children are going to sing for us, I believe. Let me see if they're ready. <laughs>